This podcast is sponsored by Uncanna, trusted natural solutions. Uncanna is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran LEO and federal communities. Veteran owned and operated, the Uncanna team is actively fighting for DOD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message. Hashtag OpNatural. Uncanna is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium small batch products to America's best. Use code Mentors the number four M I L at checkout at uncanna.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military disclaimer at mentorsformilitary.com/disclaimer. How was gym day? Oh, uh, it was good. Um, you texted me, and I was like, end of my leg workout, and I was like, fuck, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> like, and we and just like, talked okay, yesterday. So too. we so we we talked about this. I don't know how long ago. Yeah. And I was like, because we were talking about coming down, or I was talking about coming down. Yeah. And obviously, like COVID and everything like that. And then we had. Um, you know, demos planned for like the year, like we were supposed to be in the University of Florida today, like getting doing a practice jump and all that stuff and COVID. And then now we're doing it via Skype. And I was like, and he was like, yeah, you saw we're still good. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He missed me yesterday. And then I'm at the gym and then he texts me and I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, were you going to be jumping into the Arkansas game Saturday yes. night? No. We were supposed to, but the SEC kind of just. Cut we- that out. Weather or what else? COVID. So like an NFL, Are you, you're SEC, afraid to get it as you're free falling in or something. I'm kind of confused by that. Well, they won't allow anybody but players, uh, coaches, staff, and there's Vinny and refs on the field. Ah, okay. But they were going to bump up their attendance because it's an eighty thousand person field. And then they were like, yeah, no, nobody. Wow. Because yeah. I guess half the team or people on the team got it, and they were just like, hey, we're keeping this like, yeah, here. Yeah. Well, finally, man, I'm just really glad that you got on the show. And uh, so we're going to go into this whole thing. <clears throat> Josh, you've probably been – we have I'm, – I'm trying to think back. We have, um, I don't know, I would say 100 followers or so that almost from day one has been with us. And I'm thinking, because we started this whole thing six years ago. Oh, and, yeah. And I'm thinking that you were one of the original, you're the OG back one of the original hundred. Yeah, so like, I, I actually do remember that because it was just before I got to Benning when I was in Florida supporting 7th Group um, where we actually connected because it was like mutual people on the internet, obviously. Yeah. And they were like, hey, and then I got to Benning, and then we tried to meet up at Benning for, you know. A gazillion what, times, yeah. Yeah, but Benning is chaos, so. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I go down there to, like, Best Ranger or something like that, yeah. I'm like, hey, Josh, I'm going to be down here. And that day you'd be like, oh, man, I'm not going to be able to, you know. It was always yeah. something. I'm I'm not kidding. Like, Tradoc is the most stressful environment that I have ever been in. <laughs> Why is that? 
you you always have to accomplish something like because there's no like the mission there is to either one train the trainer right like train our eyes to be our eyes train whoever to be whoever and then they're training cat like you know students from wlc or whatever blc alc slc and then you know all the new what is it what's the new one for e8s or whatever but they're going that's just ncoa and then you have you know ranger school airborne school third ideas trying to do stuff in between all that and you're just like all right cool man i'm here yeah i think it's such a checklist and doctrine environment that they like we're just going to quash any original thought right because you have you have such massive numbers to get through a pipeline of training that we don't have time to come up with any new ideas so just like (laughs) follow my checklist and and maybe that's a good point yeah, I mean, yeah. but also like, like obviously, like they're they write just like five oh seven, like they write the standard for airborne operations, right? So they're always, you know, making themselves better. So it honestly doesn't stop for them. Sure. And they're, you know, they're training day in day out. So. Well, I want you to take me back uh, to what was it, two thousand nine. Okay. What were you doing prior to that, and where were you? Were you down in Florida at that time frame? No. Um, the beginning of 2009, I was in the reserves in Jacksonville, Florida, and I don't remember the unit. It was like 345th cash um, at a naval air station in Jacksonville, just hmm. picking up trash, being a private. <laughs> so, what was your MOS? Yeah. So I was slotted as a 68 Juliet going to be a 68 whiskey because they needed whiskeys in the company. And at that point in time, I think I was the beginning of 2009, I was almost 15, 18 months in the army and they had not sent me to AIT because the unit didn't have the money to send someone TDY or permissive TDY not knowing what that was back then, right? So I was in a unit going to work, you know, once a month trying to get to AIT to get qualified in a job. But you'd already been through basic. Yep. So they didn't send you to basic and AIT back to back and instead they split you. Yeah, wow. I was a, I was one of the split up guys. So it when I got them they're like, "Oh, well, okay, so we have to pay to send you to training." All right, cool. But not knowing that all they had to do was make an ATARS reservation, but then again, I had yes. like dudes that were getting out of the army in their 20 years in 2009 and they were just like I had there was like a direct our commander was a I don't know I'm pretty sure she was like a direct commission lieutenant colonel like sh- you know how that goes like <laughs> surgeons whatever I don't know yeah oh, but okay it, it, I was way low on the priority list and I you know at the point I got to two years and I was like all right well I'm gonna leave and I'm gonna go active duty because I don't want to be here anymore yeah but you got to get commander approval for that so I went back to the recruiter and I got the I don't remember the name of the orders, but the 3-54 or something. I got the commander's release from that colonel, mm-hmm. and then I went active duty um, and got needs of the Army. <laughs> right. I was just getting ready to say, because you took a very different career course at that uh, career path at that point. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I was working three jobs. I was like a cook, a bar back, and a bitch boy at some other restaurant just making money <laughs> and trying to do the army thing and i was like yo i'm not making enough money i'm not doing what i want i'm stressed out <laughs> and i was like man the army sounds like a good idea right now 
so I went needs the army there, gave me 11 Bravo, uh, 19 kilo, uh, laundry specialist, and a parachute rigger. And I was like, all right, what comes with airborne school? And they're like parachute rigger, and I was Pretty like, much this rigger thing, yeah. yeah. And I was like, I was like, I have no idea. They're like, yo, watch this badass video. I was like, cool. <laughs> so this video, this badass video, was this dude in BDUs packing parachutes, and I was like, I don't even know what that is. And then he's jumping out of a plane at freefall, and I was like. Yo, that's sick. sold, sold, yeah, sold. I yeah. was like, I didn't even care what we do, and so I did that, and uh, I think I shipped out. Okay, so I showed up from Jacksonville, Florida, to Airborne School in August of 2009 with a uniform and like clothes, like, and all these kids had come from like basic, all these NCOs with like Ranger Tab coming back fresh from the war and shit. And I'm just like this new bitch on the block. Like, I have no idea what the fuck is going on. They're like, yo, where's your uniform? I was like, what are you talking about? I'll have one. They're like, what? Like, mind blown. So I'm this just eaten up little private. And they're like, I'm not getting paid by the army yet. And they're like, yeah. Cause, so I, I went to MEPS and I was literally like got assignment like that week. They were like, hey, you're going. You're going to get on this bus and you're going to go there. I was like, okay. And, uh got dropped off so they dropped off the basic trainees at basic and then i got dropped off at airborne school and i was like what's this place <laughs> and so you only had one uniform yep and no money so they couldn't like you know go buy some uniforms private no and they and the and the and the one thing that like fucked me up was like hey you can't take your car or whatever and i was like okay so i had no transportation i had no idea what was going on like I tr- like the cadre thought I was just fucking retarded. Like, I don't know if I can say that, but like they like they were just they were like you were fucked up, and I was like, maybe yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I had some I had some pretty good cadre help me square away. They took me they took me to the five hundred seventh back then or whatever it was back then to like their S one S two. Literally started my pay at airborne school in the army. And I was like, all right, cool. So, like, you see on my ERB, it says, like, Delta Company 507th Airborne Scores, where I fucking started on my active duty ERB. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Because, yeah, awesome. most people are TDY when they're coming in. So, that's yeah. so when they when they did that and stuff, were you in, like, the, like, some people that would go to, like, a dead week before they started ground week. So, did you, were you in, like, a dead week period, or were you already in the ground week of airborne school? Uh, I was in ground week. I, like, because oh, wow. they gave me my class, and then... I walked up to whatever company. I found some other dudes walking around, obviously, and then walked up to the company. He's like, hey, sign in here. And I was like, all right, cool. Gave me a room. And after I was, you know, they thought I was a retard, I to- told them what was going on and, like, my situation. They're like, oh, that's big fucked up. And I was like, yeah. They're like, let's go get you paid. And I was like, cool. <laughs> yeah. So how many uniforms were you able to go out and get at that point? I went and got a star card, and I got one a uniform. Oh, one uniform. <laughs> yeah. So now you had two. There's yeah. a lot of laundry going on yeah, every yeah. night. I was going to say there was uh, at least you had a lot of change of underwear, so because you had those that you brought yeah. with, yeah. Yeah, I had so, I, I had shit, and then I and then so I leaving Benning, like graduating Airborne School. My family came down and they were like, "Yeah, so how was it?" And I was like, "I don't know, man. I'm going to Lee. I don't know what this place is." So I got, got put on a bus to Fort Lee and showed up there and they were like yo you're a private getting long and i was like bro i've been in the army like two years now i'm not getting in line with these privates 
And uh, <laughs> so that was a whole nother debacle because they were like, we don't understand what's your situation. And I was like, honestly, dude, neither do I. And went that, became like an MOST or whatever they want to call it and went through AIT, got CIF, pay was figured out, had all this stuff and got orders to the 82nd. Yeah. So when you got to the 82nd, you were assigned to Echo Company, um, what was that? 82nd Sustainment Brigade. Yeah. And I guess you spent four years there then. Yeah. I think it was like, it was almost four years. Yeah. Okay. And what were you, yeah. yet that whole time frame, you were just a pararigger, which of course you've been your whole career. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I got there and I went to the heavy drop facility um, in December of 2009. I uh, graduated airborne school like September 11th and then AIT was all the way after that and then leave and then reported. But as soon as I got there, uh, went to the heavy drop, did like some JFEX and then Haiti kicked off. So we did the whole Haiti mission. And then they were like, hey, who wants to deploy? And I was like, I do. I want to leave here. I don't like this place. And then deployed. And then that was that. Um, came back, felt kind of sort of accomplished. And I was like, I'll give this place another shot. And then I went to pack and I was like, all right, I'm going to get out of the army. And they're like, wait, 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 we got you. You can go to Florida and go to seventh group. And I was like, oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. So how so was got, it? Yeah. How was it being? Now, of course, you mentioned Destin. When I was saying I'm from Florida, actually, um, I'm from a little town not too far away from Destin. Mm -hmm. So what did you think of living there? And, and for those who are listening, by the way, the beach is absolutely gorgeous. And a lot of people go down there and spend time in Destin, Pensacola, Fort Walden Beach, all that whole area. Beautiful, you know, white sand, if you haven't seen it, and emerald green water. Living there is another another world yeah so i mean i got there as like a i think an e4 and i'd come with some experience obviously because in our field got there and was like hey i hear you guys are deploying i want to do that <laughs> and they were like get in line bud so i got in line um i think i was there i got there in july of 2012 uh i got sent so that that's when they made fourth battalion within like the special forces communities and or in within groups and then i got attached to fourth battalion and then deployed with the seventh group fourth battalion in may april of 13 and then came back end of the year and my ncic was like hey you got your shit together to go free fall school and i was like yeah i do he's like all right you're going in like a couple weeks and i was like sweet wow and then I got back and left for free fall school in January, February. Yeah. Got promoted in free fall school. And from there, it was just kind of like got back and it was just like free fall mission within the, within the group, supporting all the ODAs, doing train ups and everything like that. Within your MOS, how many people typically go through free fall? Is it um, pretty limited, right? It is. Um, I wouldn't say it's incredibly hard. It's not hard, uh, but it's, I don't know, a couple years ago you would see like there's usually riggers in every class, and then now it's kind of like the last couple years is starting to windle down, but like people don't have the motivation to just do the simple task to accomplish it. Like I was talking to a, a younger soldier in third group 
the other day and he was like yeah man I want to go to free fall school I was like alright well you know what have you done like did you get your HAPS card you like your chamber card did you get your physical done like that's all stuff you can do on your own and complete within a month and a half two months COVID whatever and uh, he's like no and I was like well that's your problem like you didn't take the initiative to do anything so why would someone that's in a group in NCUIC take you and make you go do something that you have to want to do mm-hmm. and, I think uh, I think did you think Josh some of that is fear like people talk a good game but then it's not not necessarily the fear of jumping but ooh fear of I may not be successful yeah and, uh, and you know what like and or I've both. seen like I have peers oh god Vinny's losing his mind um, I have peers and I have subordinates and I have soldiers that have gone to free fall school and failed that have failed more than once yeah. But I was like, and they were like, hey, Sergeant, I have this, this, and this. And I was like, you know what? Let's take you to the tunnel. Let's do something. You know, we'll fix you, send you back. Third time's a charm. And it was. And sometimes it wasn't. You know what I mean? Like, but I would send those dudes and I would put their packet in before somebody else, maybe an NCO that I needed to be qualified. Because, like, dude, if you don't want to, the simple thing, just yeah, of getting a Yeah. Yeah. Of uh, getting it done, then I wouldn't send them. Or you know, they did it on themselves and they got their packet, and I was like, "Cool, you got an ATAR slot." And they're like, "What?" When yeah. did you get your jump master for static at 82nd, or when you were with with seventh group? No, so I left seventh group in 15, uh, went to Benning, and I think I got my jump master. Oh, you have no idea how unmotivated I was to go to jump master school. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Speaking of motivation, for yeah, military, uh, yeah. Right? I'm telling. I got to I got to Fort Benning, and it was just like a mindset from going TDY and like being able to deploy with like these group dudes. I got in this like mindset of just like go 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 go, and then showing up to a, you know, I was I think I showed up as an E5, and I showed up to a unit with guys that have been there their whole career, six seven years guys that haven't been there their whole career but have been there six seven years guys that were going to retire or something else and it was just like this weird place and i was just like yo i do not fit in because i was like high strung i had i had a temper like as an nco like asking a private to go do something and you know in a unit that was like used to operating on its own like he would get it done like that was it to going somewhere and this dude's like yeah i don't know what that is sorry and i'm like oof so I got my shit pushed in um, at Benning by, you know, my commander and first sergeant at the time, who's now a sergeant major. And because I was very high strung, I was like a I was a toxic leader. When I showed up like I was like a one of those dudes that people talk about that they fucking hated. And uh, it took a couple years of just getting my shit pushed in. Like I got an Article 15, um, and was like I'm gonna get that fuck out of the army and then I kind of just was like all right this is uh they're not the issue I'm the issue and then that's kind of when that like I guess m- more mature mindset came over and was like okay hey I have to like adapt or get out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh so once I did that um I think I was like all right cool so what's my next step and just progressing in the field like helping soldiers and I never stopped doing that but I was just very like it was, it was I was toxic to the point where it was just like yo I don't like not my NCOs but my soldiers didn't want to work with you because I was like I, when I wanted something done I expected it and like they didn't accomplish it and it was just like you're a piece of shit you know so on and so forth and just like learning how to like 
be able to talk to people and teach people differently. That's something that really came in that time. Uh, but then Jump Master School was like, all right, I got promoted to E6, did the ALC thing, and then was like, and then now my, my first arm was like, yo, you're a piece of shit. You're an E6 in the rigger field, and you're not a Jump Master. And I was like, wow, you're right. <laughs> so, like, you know, being a guy with, you know, like I think it was at that time, like 100 free fall jumps and like a little bit more experience in the field than people that I've been in 15 years, they were like, yeah, you're a piece of shit. And I was like, oh man, I got to change that. So I studied and went to jump master school and hated every minute of it. <laughs> but it looked good. It, it looked, did look good. Yeah, it, it did. And then, you know, came back and I was like, wow, that wasn't, I mean, it was hard, but it wasn't like that hard but, but thinking back on this whole thing and what just listening to it i mean yeah. to me it was almost like it without knowing it the nco found a way to motivate you once again in a period of your life maybe where you were not so motivated yeah and and by telling you hey listen everybody else has this you're not holding the standard you're not towing the line here that was some way to get inside your head and i could yeah. totally see that yeah, and you know what? Because the the NCO that that told me this spent time um, within different places in the special operations community. Like he was a free fall NCYC in Yuma, um, and like a test board guy, and then he's now in like Sock South. So like, but he did he did his like he did regular army time. Like he was a platoon sergeant at Fort Benning. Like you had to suck that dick when you did. So. That's just what happened. And he kind of put the fire in my ass to go do that because he was like, look, I did it. You can do it. It's not that hard. And I was like, all right, cool. Um, but yeah, like it, like Benning was a huge, I guess, change, like just not necessarily like life altering change, but like uh, NCO change for me, like how I was and how I wanted to see myself. Yeah. I think you, I think you had it harder than some people in that you went to that seventh group environment where you know you're operating as as you know big boy rules and you're given a lot of latitude to make decisions and solve problems right yeah. and now you're going back into the big army the conventional army um so it's very and you're you're young still right you didn't have that much yeah. service i was great. yeah i was i was 25 yeah had seven eight years time in service and pretty i was easy like to walk in with like a little bit of an attitude plus you'd already been to free fall school so you're feeling pretty good about yourself right yeah and, uh yeah yeah had, so. had had deployments had had uh um experience in most every aspect of our field and yeah. then you know i walk into a unit with e6s and e7s that have never deployed spent you know all they've done is this Right. You know, and it was it was hard. Was this about the same time frame that you met uh, Weston? Yeah, so I met Weston in 2015, like shortly after I got to uh, Fort Benning. I was on a TDY up in Dahlonega, Georgia, uh, supporting airborne operations for uh, Cadre up there, RIs. And uh, he followed me on Instagram and met at a bar. <laughs> <laughs> was he wait was he assigned up there at that time frame no he was in he was in college okay so he's he, a north he was a north georgia guy so he was in college at the point of which you guys both met see i thought he may have been going through training at benning at the time you guys he, met yeah he literally like by the time i saw him next it was like it was he was in 
Bullock, I or it was I Bullock and you know Ranger School, uh, or, or Ranger School Airborne School, and then it was like he was like, all right, I'm going to Bragg, and I was like, cool, where are you gonna live? Blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So this was. Um... Yeah. But our friendship didn't start until like he got to Bragg. Like we were acquaintances, like going through while he was at Benning. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, I guess I thought it was uh, you guys, but more of the friendship at Benning, you know, hanging out at the gym together, lifting weights and everything else. But it wasn't until he got to Bragg and was physically there. Okay. So at that time frame, you were stationed at Bragg? No, I was still at Benning. So how did him being at Bragg and you being at Benning, how did that friendship, I mean. Uh, I mean, social media kicked it off a little bit and then i just was like hey bro you want to hang out he's like absolutely he's like my family's in uh in bluffton georgia which is like an hour south of benning yeah so i think i took like 30 days leave and spent it at bragg with him like i came up here in like 2016 15 um spent it with him he came down to benning and like helped me study for my e6 board like nice spent time with me and then when he spent the week with me, uh, we went to his mom's house, his mom and dad's house for like a week and, you know, shotguns, did you know, just dude stuff. Yeah, yeah. So for those who are not familiar, um, Lieutenant Weston Lee died 29 Hello. April 2017 in Mosul, Iraq by an IED. And that was a um, very difficult time. I think I had just communicated with him maybe four days prior, five days prior and um you know he had just made the post about him and the sergeant major you know not the day isis which was a really like prophetic post and i of course it just struck me at that point and i actually reached out to him and said something like you know keep your head on a swivel and you know be safe out there and everything else and you know um and then on 29th you know we all received the word that weston um unfortunately died from an IED and it was uh, one of those things that I think probably you Josh and certainly me recognize um, how much social media truly um, builds relationships or how people look at influencers because Weston was an individual that even in the time that I interacted with him was a straight-up guy, you know, you could tell he was probably a really good officer. I didn't serve with or, you know, beside him or anything, obviously. Uh, But you could just tell that there was a lasting impact that was there. And then you started hearing the stories, you know, from individuals. And some of it, again, was just through the same types of interactions that I had. Uh, But that that had to be a very difficult time. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in... uh, he was obviously uh, part of 1325 Infantry out of the 82nd, as Josh mentioned. Um, he was laid to rest at Arlington. And um, there's been several people that have posted about, you know, going there to Arlington and, and paying their respects. And, um, you know, that was, I think, another pivotal, pivotal time in your career uh, where I would imagine you had to do some even self-reflection as to what direction... Um, you know, because here you had someone that was very, you were very close to, um, that did pass in a combat environment. 
So I'm, I'm sure it was an opportunity for you to like reassess everything that was going on yourself, especially as close as you guys were. Yeah, I did. Uh, um, it, it's probably... Take your time, man. It was a dark time. I've done a lot of self-reflecting over the last couple of years, trying to figure out, you know, you know how I looked at the situation, and and then now how I feel for you know people, someone's wife that loses their husband, you know, dudes that lose their friends, their family, and you never really know how much you love someone until they're gone. Yeah. Um, and like social media side, I don't, I, like, yeah, there's things that, like, that we shared on social media, but it was just, it was so much more than that. And then I never, you know, I, like I say, I never knew how much I loved another person until I lost him. And it's, it was the, the darkest time in my entire life uh i think it's one of the challenges that a lot of people who you know serve within the military who even if they're in the same unit and deployed lose a, a good friend a buddy a teammate um, or even just somebody like yourself who you may be in totally separate units at a different time period, but you still lose. There's that – it's that same feeling. And like yeah, you said – yeah, go ahead. I don't know if it's it, – it, it, it's the way that – it's the way that you interact with someone. Like you I, – I don't want to sound negative, but I'm just it, – it's a different – it's a different mindset. Like we've obviously been at war for a very long time, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. we hear about, you know, we losing guys within the special operations community, you know, regular army, Marines, you know, pilots, anything like that. And you, and, you know, coming up, not experienced loss. And then like seeing loss, like, you know, losing someone in your unit that you, you know, you weren't close with, but you knew kind of thing like, yeah, it sucks. But then, you know, it like hit me that like, I lost someone that I would give my entire life for. Yeah. And I, that's just, it was completely different. Um, it, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. There was, there's so much that came, that came out of that so much bad. And then obviously like good that yeah. came out of that as well. So let's kind of go down that path because I think it was around it was around this time frame that you know you started um, I think in a lot of different ways reassessing at least from what I saw from you and what you wanted to do within the military career outside the military career you started becoming more of an entrepreneur 
um, looking for ways that, you know, one day, hey, I'm going to have a life outside of the military. I need to prepare for that. Think about ways in which I can, you know, make a smoother transition if that day ever comes. And so you had the opportunity, you know, to do, I think, several different passions that you were focused on, the bodybuilding, you know, weightlifting and everything, and then also entrepreneurship. So you were really kind of going out there and testing all kinds of different waters at that time period. Oh, yeah. Um, like I, I, I tried different things, different schools in the army. Like I tried to go different routes there and I was like, all right, cool. I want to start a business and did a few of those, whether it was, you know, snakes or a t-shirt company and went down a few paths and learned a lot of hard lessons as a young dude. Um, you know, there's that and then I guess just eventually overcoming like the one the whole wanting to like kill yourself thing like that really yeah was a, a struggle for like a year afterwards just like not wanting to be on the earth and just pretending to want to be here and smile and be like yeah i'm good and like relationships falling apart like losing family losing friends having people talk their fucking two cents on the internet like bro like shut the fuck up kind of thing yeah um well, a lot of people think because they follow somebody on social media that they're honest, you know, obviously friends. They know them. They know their whole life, everything about them, because, of course, we follow you, Josh. We we know yeah. you, right? Yeah. 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 And I, I guess that's that. That's what this this whole generation has come to, like talk like toxic social media bullshit. And it didn't come. You know, it's bad that it didn't come from people outside the army. It came from fucking people in our ranks and i just was like mind blown yeah like and I, I that's where i had to take a step back and like reevaluate like what i'm doing on the internet yeah because like you like you obviously have very influential people come out in the last couple of years because social media is just like taking flight with like oh this is what we can do we can showcase like everybody has fucking social media like from Ranger Regiment to USASOC PAO has a fucking Instagram. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you're just like, and then, but like, was it five years ago, six years ago when I was in free fall school and I came out and I posted, posted my video of jumping, everybody was on my dick. Like I'm the biggest piece of shit. Well, I think a lot of people at that time frame actually thought that you were trying to portray yourself as something you're not. And I remember at that time frame, you really coming out and trying to constantly remind people, I know what my MOS is. I know what I do. Obviously, yeah. you don't. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I still have to do that to this day. Yeah. Because they're like, yo, you're like, you're trying to be some special operations. Dude. I was like, no, I just work here, man. I'm a fucking parachute rigger. Like, I've got to do cool things, meet cool people and you know, do things outside of my career field. Like, I'm sorry that, like, you reclassing to 11 Bravo and, like, wanting to shoot people in the face is, this isn't up to your, your standards kind of thing. Yeah. And, like, it's just one of those things. Like, I've all I've always dealt with hate within my, within my career field and outside. Like, it's always going to happen. Like, you're never going to be the best in someone else's eyes. And at the point, you just realize you're like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Well, and I think it's a hard lesson, especially on social media, for a lot of people to to recognize and understand that that it shouldn't control your life. If you consider yourself an influencer and you may have, you know, 10, 15, 20,000 people, it doesn't mean that they understand who you are and they can be just as mean as they are um, good 
in everything that they do. And you, you, you definitely, if you're going to get into that kind of game and social media and putting yourself out there, then you, you end up being very much like a celebrity back in the day where you're putting mm-hmm. your whole life out there or a, a, you know, a, poli- a political person, you know, somebody in politics that when you do that, you're exposing yourself for opportunities for people to judge you and yep. make um, you know, quick decisions about the type of person you are based on the, the sound bites that you provide them. And I, I think that's, I mean, so it's good and bad. Like, obviously, like, we've met, we've stayed in contact for, what, six plus years. And then there's guys, you know, like uh, Josh, like Stratium, you know what I mean? Like, there's people like that, Weston, and all these other amazing people that come from social media. And then there's whole this whole other side where it's just like, hey, I fucking hate you, and I hate what you do, and all of this. And you're just like, all right, cool, man, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I noticed that you you had to make a change or you made a change here recently on Instagram. And a lot of that was something that that recently happened. You got assigned to your current assignment. And so you kind of highlighted that. So how did that come about? Was that something that you applied for or was that something that they just assigned you to? No. So uh, after. All right. So, like, let's take it back to Fort Benning, 2017. uh, after Weston died, um, I spent, you know, a month, like a, a month and a half straight with Eddie, Aldine, Mavis, Chester, his brother, you know, the whole family, just making sure that like everything that was taken care of for them. And then like Savannah came down, um, you know, Marcus was deployed, uh, Jake was there. Um, just we were all just making sure that Eddie and Aldine were good. Like that was our focus. And then obviously the real world kind of comes back. Because uh, my unit, like my sergeant major, uh, was a prior regiment dude, and my first sergeant, like they were hundred percent. Hey, do what you have to do. Take your leave. Like we are, we are good. I was, and that was like the support that I needed, and they gave it to me. So great took it off and i could never ask for better leadership at that time during a time where like my mind was not on whatever the fuck i was doing in the army did all that and then came back uh from that you know obviously like try to go to schools and then my sergeant major asked me one day he was like hey so what do you what do you want to do and i was just like i want to go to silver wings i like i just want to jump out of planes like i want to get away from like this bullshit and he's like, you know, that could affect your career. And I said, I'm very aware of what my NCR is going to look like, you know, not having what it needs to say, blah, blah, blah. So went to the Silver Wings full time, did 18 months, got some ratings, got a lot of jumps, learned a lot. Uh, 2000, 2019, uh, this the first winter the first annual winter training with the golden knights i was there with the silver wings like the black daggers came leapfrogs came uh i met them we talked about timelines i was like hey i'm coming up on my time to end at the end of this year if you guys need a rigor jokingly i was like i'd come to you (laughs) and they're like all right we'll keep that in mind fast forward a couple months they're like hey this might work out we're gonna have a dude leave and you can come take a spot and that's i don't want to get into the nitty-gritty on the podcast but that's yeah. Pretty much how it went down. 
Well, that that that's pretty cool. I mean, obviously, <clears throat> you're talking about being a part of the U.S. Army Special Operations Parachute Demonstration Team, which is you know universally known as the Black Daggers, and a lot of people know about the Golden Knights, but you know not a lot of people know about Black Daggers. But yet they may see them jump in with their red and black shoots and never know what the name is or anything like that. They just sometimes associate those two entities as being kind of one and the same, if you will. Mm-hmm. And um, it's only because, again, a lot, not a lot of people are very familiar with these different teams. And you talked about Silver Wings. That's at Fort Benning. That's their uh, parachutist team that's there. And I forgot that you had uh, been in that. I should have pointed that out. Um, so what's it like being a part of this demonstration team? I mean, you're back dealing with people that, probably you know had more high speed uh backgrounds and everything that are that are now in this this team so you're back in that environment as well once again yeah so you know so being on on the silver wings at fort benning like you had guys in ranger regiment mm-hmm. um the 507 uh ris you know everybody on fort benning could come be a part of the silver wings mm-hmm. so we had a very divert like officers you know everybody so we had a very diverse and it was very eye-opening like that in itself like getting humbled in like my leadership abilities being like an nco in the 507th that was humbling and then going to the team like obviously this is a completely different world so that was also like humbling getting my shit pushed in like everything has been like oh, i'm i'm a very like stubborn hard learner so that was one of those things that i learned doing that coming here you know, working with dudes that have are special forces, have been special forces most of their career. Uh, a couple guys from Ranger Regiment, um, CEA PSYOPs. And we're talking about guys that are coming from the force to this place, like operational to here. <laughs> and uh, it it's a great environment because, you know, I learn different, I, just as far as like human capabilities of like, teaching and like seeing how these guys interact i get to see everything mm-hmm. right from regiment to special forces to ca psyops and a very well-rounded group of guys um being able to work together and accomplish you know you know a very not basic mission but a, a just a, a applied implied mission right and it's 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 awesome like or it, it's funny i had a conversation today like i had a we had a a little bit of a, a rustle in the office and you know I was talking to my NCIC and he goes yeah we're not we're, we're in the army here and we but we're we're more of a family and I never really believed that anywhere else that I was in like I never like you know you're in a unit and it's like you know NCO or first arms commanders like we're a family here and I'm like no the fuck we're not like you could give a fuck about anybody in this unit like you're getting your OER and you're leaving like but here like we like we work with each other day in day in day out and you have to trust the guy that you're jumping with i mean accidents happen like you see it all over the news right like it's a very dangerous sport um and then we do it on you know the military side as well like you know myself my ncuic um we're both big we've been a part of the free fall community like the military free fall community so we're very, you know, safety conscious. And like, you know, when he said that after we had our little debacle today, I, I actually believed it. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of that's kind of where it hit home. And that's obviously it's funny because it happened today. I think that happens a lot within the special operations community as whole it, compared uh, to the conventional. I, I agree with that. I mean, you, you know, I don't have any experience being on an 
on an ODA, but working with ODAs and like spending a lot of time with them and having good friends, you know, being back in seventh group, like I still talk to those dudes that I became friends with versus guys that I was deployed with, you know, 10 years ago. Can't believe it's been yeah. that long. I think it's an interesting how you, how you outline that. And I think you would probably say these are people that you could socialize with on your off time and Monday rolls around and you're back at the office and it doesn't, it doesn't matter how much fun or what was going on on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, work is Monday and the boss is still the boss and you can have open dialogue and discussion. But if the boss says X and you're like, yep, Roger, that's what we're doing. And, and that's, that's a pretty comfortable environment to be in. I think hundred, hundred percent. Like, and I, and I haven't been in an environment like that. Yeah. And, uh, it's, you know, coming from like, I wouldn't go party with my first sergeant, you know, down in like a regular army unit. I'd be like, yeah, he'd probably, I don't know, whatever. But coming here and it's like, you know, we work with these dudes, we hang out on the weekends, we have to travel TDY together and take sure. care of each other. Uh, so it's it's nice to actually have that kind of relationship to be able to be like, hey, I need to take care of cool guy you. Yeah. And it's done and then we're back to what we're doing. I think Robert and I as the old people in the group would say like – cherish that assignment because your next one you're not you, you know we joke around and say that the last place you were was always your best union and the, and the place you're at now is, is terrible right um cherish it it's so good right now and then when you leave you're gonna even i mean you know it's good right now but when you leave and you go to a new place two things one you're you're senior enough to start making that environment where you go but also you're gonna look back on it and go that was a really special time that oh I don't yeah know if i can 100 percent. i'm very aware of both sides of that yeah that's awesome. So it's, I mean, it's, it, it, like I said, I'm, I'm fortunate to be here, and like in this position, and I, I try to encourage soldiers and lower enlisted within my career field to not get stuck in the mindset that this field is shitty, toxic, monotonous. Like, because trust me, there are parts and there are leaders in this field that need to go away, just like anything. Like the army is adapting and the army grows, right? So, so should the leaders. And some guys have a problem with that. Some guys don't. Um, sorry. But I do think that it's very important for people within my career field and soldiers within my career field to understand that there are that there are opportunities better than where I'm at. I think that's the case, honestly, Josh, for every MOS. I think there's a lot of people that get very um, disheartened or dissatisfied when they arrive at a specific installation. Uh, specific unit they have bad leadership you know uh, which of course you know we did a whole pod podcast there's no such thing as bad leadership it's just either leadership or it's not leadership and you know so you're going to run into situations either based on the environment that you're in of location unit mos whatever but the, but i think you bring up a very valid point when you ran into those situations throughout your career, you always sought out the opportunities or somebody saw something within you that provided you the opportunity to make a change. Mm -hmm. And once you caught on with that and you realized, hey, listen, sometimes I can go to a different school that may take me down a different career path. Or maybe this school um, now afforded me an opportunity that I didn't think much of a few years ago for a promotion or another unit change or you know whatever um, in the future and I think it's a very valuable lesson that a lot of people need to listen to because uh, there are a lot of people I'm sure right now that are kind of wondering uh, what am, what's my next move should I re-enlist should I stay you know I, I contemplate 
staying in the army every day. <laughs> like I, I don't feel that I have outgrown the army. I don't feel like I'm better than the army. I, I, I have none of those animosities. Um, I don't, I don't live on the fact that like, you know, my job is like my life. Like I have a life, like I have a job that is not my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, it's hard to, for people to separate, uh, like, cool. I jump out of planes. Like I'm free fall qualified. Like I've got to do cool things. Like, great. Uh, that's not what I, it's not my personality. It's not my life. Uh, it's just given me opportunities and I'm forever grateful for them. But the one thing that I still debate with people, you know, soldiers today, and I saw a post on social media a month ago of a Sergeant Major in the Marine Corps saying, if you're not a Marine 24 seven, you're fucking wrong. And I just wanted to lose my shit because I was like, you are the reason. And he's, there's two sides and someone will always disagree sure. that like, if you don't live and breathe this, like you'll fucking die. And that's right in certain cases, but that's why ODAs, regiment dudes, 82nd boys, whatever you want to fucking call them, the guys that go fucking kicking doors, train, like their life depends on it and they go do that. But at the end of the day, they're fucking popping beers. And it's hard for somebody to separate the fact that like they did that once and are not doing it anymore. I want to be able to move past the fact of like, I'm not going to jump forever. Like, I'm not going to be able to do what I do forever. And I want to be able to be like, cool, that was fun. Let's go do something else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, but I also want guys, women, people to understand that they have this opportunity. And I try to share that with people and soldiers that ask the questions and or that I meet like, hey, by the way, like that soldier I was telling you about in third group, hey, go do this. And then his NCO was like, yeah, you need to go do that. I was like, no shit, dude. It's just things that it's not necessarily that he's not knowledgeable. He just didn't know. Yeah. Patty, uh, you had something that you wanted to kind of bring up. Yeah. Yeah. You talked about, um, <clears throat> you know, your year of feeling like crap and wanting to kill yourself, um, which is no, a terrible place to be, obviously. And it's and it's rampant in in our world right now. Right. So if you could just talk a little bit and share with the listeners, like how did you work through that? And did you have any like aha moments where you were like, I have a new, I have a new mission. I have new beliefs. I have new values. There's something else I want to do. How did you work through that? You guys, you guys got a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So my mind was a mess. Yeah. Like I, I couldn't talk about it on national television. We'll go into that. But like, cause I was like, well, one of the, I'll, go forward and go backwards one of the producers like called me he was like hey well i just want to be like talk about you're like your dog and many and i was like yeah well you can't really tell people that i want to fucking kill myself and then be like i'm better now because of a dog like bro there's so many there's so much shit that happens and i and i guess and i was on a talk show about this earlier and i didn't get to go in depth because she just kind of wanted to get through and i kind of think i made her feel uncomfortable because no one wants to talk about it yeah 22 push-ups is not going to save a motherfucker's life yeah yeah talking about on social media is not going to save a motherfucker's life. Like, yo, I had a gun. I had a gun in my mouth. I didn't give a fuck. 
I was done. And it wasn't just Weston. It was everything. Like, everything. It's not just one effect. It's everything. Like, people need to understand. Like, it's like something little can just push you to that point. So what was going through my head, I was like, cool, I'm going to kill myself. And I was going to do it. You know, people were reaching out. People I didn't know. I was like, I don't give a fuck. I was like, all right, I'm just going to go to bed. Like, I, I don't drink. I didn't drink at all during this. So, like, I can't – people can't say alcohol has a factor. Like, it might for some people, but I, I just didn't drink. I just wanted to not be here. Like, I was so tired of, like, the fucking toxic shit everywhere. Um, I literally was just told by myself – I was like, I never want to feel the amount of pain that I felt ever again. And I went to bed. And I woke up. I was fucking miserable and I didn't want to fucking do anything. And I went to work and I fucking hated my life and I was just like, whatever, we'll go do this. And I literally spent months like that. Like it wasn't like a day. Sure. Like it didn't happen like overnight. Like I spent months fucking miserable, not sleeping, sucking that dick, wanting to fucking shoot myself. Like I should have fucking done this months ago. And I don't know, man, like after telling myself so many times that I want to do this I was just like alright you're a fucking pussy shut the fuck up you're not going to do it and I, I, I this is my this is me telling myself this and I was like okay so why am I so fucking miserable like what is like I don't have a purpose I don't have like anything and I was just like I felt like just empty uh, I got a dog <laughs> and I had something to take care of that wanted my attention and I gave it to him and I was like, you're fucking cool. <laughs> and then I just started doing things like it didn't like those thoughts didn't go away. Sure. Right. Like I just started doing things like I just started hanging out, socializing and lifting weights again and calling myself a bitch and was just like, all right, cool. And like I. It just it, it went like that for like a year and then I was like okay what's I didn't have the thoughts as often as I did and I I hate when people say that like so I did therapy in seventh group right like I went to an army therapist and I was like I fucking hate this I tried talking to friends like tried talking to colleagues and whatever and I didn't find the relief that I needed. So that's why I went to the fact of like, yo, when Weston died and all this shit happened, like my life was fucking over. Um, but I, had, I found a dog that like Vinny, 100%, I can say like saved my life. Like he gave me that just very tiny bit of purpose. Like I have to wake up and I have to let you pee and poop and I have to feed you. Fuck. Yeah. And I woke up. Yeah. And like it didn't go away. Like it's been almost four years. Still somewhat miserable inside, not of like from what I'm doing or like, you know, my life or anything like that. But like there's there's trauma. Right? Like that and people need to understand like it's okay to like talk about this and feel this way. It's okay to like feel like you're not gonna 
be okay the next day. And it's okay to feel like that. And I know doctors and people agree with me, but you know, someone, a, a medical, uh, a Navy psychiatrist reached out to me on Instagram, uh, about two months ago, about a, a month after the Titan games or a couple months after the Titan games. And she was like, Hey, I just want to let you know, uh, that you've helped several of my patients. And I was like, what do you mean? Um, and they're like, no, you saved their life. Like you openly came out and was like, they could like see and feel what you were feeling and you probably stopped them from ending their life. And I was like, that was my goal to go on the Titan game and talk about Weston was to like, yeah, share Weston's story and like let people not forget. But it wasn't about me. Like I wanted to, people whether you're in the army you're in the rink what the fuck ever like if you're thinking about like ending your life like it's just like push-ups from somebody on social media it's going to save your life like you have to do it and i i just wanted that to be there like to show people that you can be vulnerable and just be and like know that like tomorrow isn't going to be a fucking good day and just deal with it um like not everybody has the same mindset. Like not everybody deals with the same and it's okay. And I think that's where like my purpose behind that was is to show like, Hey, I'm struggling. And then one day I was like, you know what? I'm just going to talk about it. Like, I don't fucking care. Like so many people are killing themselves and like losing their life. And I just like, and there's guys within there like, well, you haven't fucking done anything to have like this. And I was like, well, people kill themselves for a lot less, dude. Mm hmm. So stop being so fucking heartless. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a criteria that comes with it. It's not like you got a checklist there of what your credentials have to be. Um, once again, I think that goes back to just those personal attacks and those people who feel like, I don't know, maybe it makes them feel better. Um, Vicky, Vinny is not your traditional. No, let me, let me get this motherfucker. <laughs> awesome. Hey, handsome, come here. Come here. Want treatos? Come here, here's out. Come here. Oh, good boys. Oh, oh, fucking sweet, thick boys. Oh. And there's Vinny. This is my handsome boy. Hi, mm -hmm. handsome. You know, and when a lot of people think hey, of, you know, <laughs> of dogs that, you know, are do what you're talking about many people go get rescue dogs that are um you know the german shepherds or um you know labradors or something of that nature but what it, what you just described there is that sometimes it just is about having an another animal person or whatever that you feel is relying on you relying on you to to be there for them and 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 that was me man like i tried like you know like when i say a dark place like i destroyed relationships like i destroyed friendships because i was just so like after that happened like i couldn't talk to anybody yeah mm. right like i could talk to jake and i could talk to eddie and like me and eddie just like we're very real with each other like we had the same thought process and talking and, and uh, there was some relief there but like at the end of the day, like it was, I was by myself. Yeah. Um, so Vinny gave me that, 
that little bit of like, okay, I need to fucking take care of a dog right now. Um, and obviously it's done a lot for you. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it has. And I just, I, I think that like, I can't speak for everybody that has this, you know, that goes through those thoughts, right? Like I can't, like, it's not the same, like the triggers aren't the same, like it's, but what people need to understand is that like it, it is going to come from something that you have to like want to get better. Sure. And so Josh, now you've, you've done the show. We haven't talked about that yet. And then you, you got that Instagram note from the Navy site that said, Hey, you're having a profound effect on people that I'm, that I'm trying to help. Um, how does that make you feel? (sighs) It was humbling. Um, just, Simply the fact that I'm just like a dude in the army that jumps out of planes, and I at the at the end of the day, I took a step back from social media, and then when I went to the Titan Games, I was like, you know what? I talked to Marcus and one of our other friends at dinner, like a week before I went, and. I was like, bro, like, I don't know if I can do TV. And they're like, why? I was like, because I'm going to fucking tell them exactly what I'm telling you. And they're not going to like it. Like, people are fucking soft. Like, you can't talk about what we're talking about right now and someone not feel uncomfortable. Hi, handsome. And, oh, yes, okay, pets. And it's just one of those things where I felt the need just to say it as softly as I could and not get in trouble by the army be like yo that dude's fucked up like (laughs) send him to the ward or some shit like that but to like let people know that they're not alone and like obviously like bringing that up like it sparks emotions like I still feel that shit like it's not it doesn't go away and people need to understand that like just because you think you saved someone's life like doesn't mean that they're and I hate to say this but look at you know Roy the other you know a couple months ago yeah I fucking hated that because you look at someone that's done so much more for the community than myself right and a lot of people he actually made a difference and the fact that like that dude took his own life i sat back and i was like he was alone or felt alone to to do something like that to do that to actually fucking do it like to the point where you have so much support in your corner. And this is what people don't understand. This is the shit that no one wants to talk about. This dude has so much fucking support in his corner. So many people like, bro, I fucking love you. I'm here for you. And it's like, I don't fucking care. I'm out. Yeah. We're talking about Rory Hamill, who was a mm-hmm. Marine Corps vet. Um, yep. did, like you said, he, he did a lot for the community of sharing his story and helping others even get past their own demons and yet, what you're saying is so very true for for many individuals. Um, the demons are still there; they don't, they never go away. Yeah. Like, and people just want to think that, like, okay, hey, reaching out to my buddy might might save his life. You're not wrong, right? But when you look at when you look at the situation that just happened, you know, and I reached out to one of his very good friends that you know was with him for a lot and made videos, and I didn't know him. Right. And I was like, look, dude, I'm here for you. Like, because I know what that feels like. 
to being on the other the opposite end of that because that'll put him in that same situation um the demons never leave man yeah like and again this is one of those strange stories i actually had just spoke with him only days prior and was talking to him about coming on the podcast we were working out a date um he was talking about how difficult and challenging school was um even sitting down to write a paper you know and those types of things but i wasn't picking up on anything that concerned me it was more of just you know just struggling you know being in transition and being in college so it was a uh, a shock i think to a lot of people but i think it it's a, a hard truth that a lot of people need to understand about how those demons are still there people fight them um and it, it doesn't mean that like you're saying that you can't keep going and providing that kind of support to those individuals uh it's just understanding the situation that they're in and um i, I think i think that's where i wish Ah, I wish I had that someone that would understand, not just say they understand, not just call me and be like, yo, what's up, bro? Are you thinking about killing yourself? Nah, dude, go the fuck away from me. Right? Like, but actually understand what I'm going through. And I didn't know this guy uh, at the time. I kind of did. But... Uh, dude, I'll just leave it at Daryl, right? And uh, Ranger Bat was on the phone with me the night that Weston was killed. Prior to being notified, the family, like obviously, like ever, like the cause and effect of everything, like they were all being notified. But he was like, "Hey, dude, I need you to know this because he knew yeah. Weston and I's relationship." Yeah. And if that dude hadn't called me and talk to me and like calm me the fuck down. Like he was talking to me for hours while deployed. Like he, he knows, you know what I mean? And I didn't even fucking know this guy. And now we're friends. We stay in touch. You know what That's I mean? Right. Like it's just one of those things. It's like, bro, that support doesn't need to come from people that you know. Right. I think there's a lot more of that that actually, and, and it's a good thing, like you're talking about, that's coming, uh, people who are individuals who are coming forward. They're, they're trying to break the stigma because for such a long time frame, you did have concerns about your career. You did have concerns about how other people would receive you and everything. Um, and, and I think that because individuals like yourself and others who have come forward, and some of which have spent, you know, 20, 30 years in combat, you know, in, in, uh, or at least 20 to 30 years in the service and many um, deployments in combat, those individuals coming forward are allowing more and more people to do the same thing. And that's exactly what we need as a community is for individuals to be talking to themselves who understand what the other person's going through to be kind of that mentor you know, to be that coach, to be there for them, if nothing else, to bend an ear. Yeah, listen, just call me. And and so that brings me back to the point with Rory, right? Like, where did we fail? Mm. That's a tough yeah. question. That's and that, but that that's, I, I, bro. I will hit fucking truths that people will not talk about because, like it, like yeah, you just said, like I was like, 
didn't want to come out because like I didn't want to affect my career or affect how people saw me. Bro, if you see me as a pussy because I wanted to kill myself and I wanted to fucking take that route, then fuck you, right? Because your boys are feeling the same way and you feeling that pushes them put to that point. Yeah. And I, I, I will hit those hard truths. Like I will make someone realize like what it, where did we fail, dude? Like where did we go wrong? Like you're talking about someone that like I physically saw as like – bro that's that dude's been through so much more shit than i have right and i'm like how the fuck does he do it right like and then you and then you realize that this dude has the support like he had people in his fucking corner you're right right what where did and i can't say we anymore because at some point i sat there and looked about and i sat back and i was like you know what I had all the support coming in. I had all these people checking on me daily, sending me phone calls, texting me, and I just was like, shut my phone off. <sighs> I'm going to fucking do this. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, I do, because, you know, you often hear of individuals who hit their lowest low, and when they hit the bottom, they, they then jump back on their feet. But yet, not everybody does that. Not everybody yep. does that. And so to think that, okay, well, I just know that at some point, I guess I'm going to hit my lowest low, but I'm going to be okay. Well, no, it's not necessarily true, you know, and that's the hard truth. Um, you know, depression is, is uh, a difficult thing. And, you know, people hit depression even without having, to your point, combat experience. Combat um, experience, no combat experience, yeah, losing friends, matter. losing whatever. It doesn't right. matter. And like I just yeah. – bro, you know what? I'll give you one example. I'll go on like a small little rant, right? Like the most toxic fucking community is the active duty fucking community, mm. right? Like we've turned into belittling toxic people. And I, I have done that. I was like, yo, I'm fucked up. Like, I'm a piece of shit, right? Like, hold on. This was after I went through this and I was like, because I was like, yo, I want to be fucking cool too. Like, I want to fucking ride that fucking train. Hold up. I'm a piece of shit, right? We are toxic, right? Like, we are toxic individuals because it doesn't matter whether you're a fucking cross the fence, you're in fucking super secret squirrel shit or you're a fucking 82nd dude or you're third ID I don't give a fuck everybody has like fucking demons right and like I I get like we all make fun of each other and we all do fun shit like yo like that's all at a place in time right but like people need to understand that like you can only deal with so much Right. Jokingly, not jokingly. Like you can only deal with so much before you just your mind hits that point of just like, all right, cool. I'm out, dog. Like and I've hit it again here being here. Right. Like. Bro, like I I guess I guess that's when we talked. I just told you I was like, I got to the point where I was like, you know what? I hold no hate, no resentment in my heart towards anybody I've ever met. Like I have done people fucking wrong. I've lied, I've cheated, I've destroyed relationships, I've ended my I've ended a marriage, like I have fucking done all of it. I'm a piece of shit, right? But I've su- tried to sit here and grow and become a better fucking human and a better person and like just not be toxic and not be like I still have shit I need to work on. We all do. 
But like, I will openly say like, yo, I was a piece of shit and I was a piece of shit NCO and like, I fucking grew up and I'm still growing and I'm always fucking learning. And I just think it's, it's one of those things where I wish we could have more reality, you know, more like real shit. I think uh, what you're describing there is probably something within our, you know, the military you're talking about, especially active duty, that we're likely headed more towards because more and more people are coming forward. The stigma is starting to get broke down. And, you know, with anything within the military, when you start talking about changing the culture and attitudes and it's it's even that way within the private sector, but certainly within the military, it takes a long time. And it takes a leadership that truly, you know, you described earlier, hey, we're a family from you heard from some you know, leaders and stuff. It truly takes individuals um, who want to humble themselves, who, who want to um, be open themselves to expressing real feelings and or listening to individuals who share raw feelings and embrace them afterwards not think less of them that's challenging because not everybody's wired the same correct and i i i see that and i just it's not about me man like i'll still struggle like i'll struggle when we get done with the fucking you know our podcast like it's it's not gonna stop and i don't think that i'm like a great leader or someone i just want people to understand that it is okay to have these feelings yep right like it is okay to go down this road and fucking hit it but know that you're not alone right like you're not like you're okay to be vulnerable but like at the end of the day dude and i hate to fucking say this but like if someone's gonna pull the trigger they're going to fucking do it I think about it time and time again. Like, am I wrong? Yes. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. It's. I think you're talking about a a generation of change, right? Because when you, when you think about some, someone like you who is, who has kind of made the change um, and, and grown up, as you say, and is very open about what they experienced and is unashamed of what they've experienced or how they feel it's going to take until people like you are sergeants major and whatever and, and colonels and one stars and two stars and that we really start saying we, we can play a lot of lip service and say you know it's a real thing and we're going to talk about it and we're going to remove the stigma but then potentially you go in the quiet room and you're who are you selecting to be your next leaders maybe not those people yeah, right great right. point yeah um, that's that's a eh. I'm not telling you you need to stay in and be a sergeant major, but I'll bet you be the army, the army, the navy, the marine corps, the air force will always be the army, the navy, the marine corps, the air force, right? Like it will always continually to change and adapt, whether it goes down the route that we're talking about, and they have leaders like this or they don't, because I think I might do twenty, I might not. But there's some hard facts that we're we're facing. I think. 
as not just a society, but a military community as a whole, that we've never been in war this long. And the individuals who are serving today or even who had served 20 <sighs> years ago were not, you know, 30 years ago, were not in a combat situation. It was the Cold War era. So this is a brand new period. And if we don't get on the ball and we don't do something about it, you know, then we're going to see more and more of these tragedies, unfortunately. And I don't, I don't look at the statistics, you know, because... You know, numbers aren't going to make me all of a sudden, you know, take an action. I know. I see it. It's it's around me all the time. I, If you don't already see it and you've got to have somebody tell you to do 22 push-ups, shame on you. Because it's been around for a long damn time. Yo, fuck every company that did 22 push-ups and is like, do this because I support vet- veteran suicide. Fuck you. Like stop. I won't go you that far. You, but I no 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 no. I I will because I I, I want to like I know that you're contributing to funds to to send soldiers and sailors to mental health organizations, right? And I know you're doing it, and that think you're bringing awareness because I saw this fucking paragraph some dude sent me, and I was like, shut the fuck up. Because like if I was at that point right there that someone sent me that message, bro, like I didn't I I fucking off myself. Yeah. Because that it, it, it it's fucking annoying. Right. Like the conversations that we need to have are like this via FaceTime, via Skype. And I can tell this dude like, hey, bro, you're a fucking idiot, but I love you. So come here. Right. Like I'll give you a fucking hug and you'll never forget the hug that I give you. <laughs> I, I, I'm, And I don't mean like fuck you to those companies like, cool, you do good shit. You send guys that need the help. Like I got it. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, they're bringing but, awareness, but there may be. But it, dude, it's just it's not the awareness that. I want and I'm not gonna go and like bash a fucking company right that's like doing stuff and actually raising money it's just it's to me it's fucking annoying yeah right like it's not because I look at it from my point I look at it from that dark spot that like that 22 push-up was around when I wanted to fucking kill myself yeah it wasn't that you saw a meme and that made you change your mind no um well, it in, wasn't some fucking veteran doing push-ups on the internet that was like, oh, maybe I should not do this. Yeah. Well, I saw the video, though, that NBC, and of course we'll talk about this because you are an NBC Titan game, season two, and um, you made it all the way to the end. And I swear, man, it, I was pushing for you through the TV. If you couldn't feel the vibes, man, I was like, come on, man. I mean, you were so damn close. And honestly, I can't believe that dude actually beat you of course he's a former champion but at any rate they showed the video about weston's story about you about Vinny, and all of that kind of stuff that's what you were referring to earlier in the show about what made an impact and i gotta tell you it was very impactful i mean it was a it was a well put together piece documentary you know whatever you want to call it uh bio that um served you well I think served also the the conversation that we're talking about well and i think um it's kind of unfortunate that it's not maybe shared more frequently not just as a piece to highlight josh and why he's here you know what i mean like more people because of because of that show i decided to be more vocal right like in this and not necessarily just in this podcast but i did uh like a interview on the phone shortly after that with you know, I think it was a podcast to a lady talking to me about this. And I was like, you know, at the end of this, like, I've been through this. I've, like, I've 
come a very long way as a human. Like I've no, I've made mistakes. I fucked up. I fucked people over. Like I just want to be better. And if I can stop one person from fucking killing themselves, then that's all that I want. Yeah. Well, and some people though are going to listen to this or will have listened or saw that, that piece and they're going to see themselves in what you're going through and they may not see all of the signs they may not see all of the pieces but you know i can't tell you how many times i've seen something that reached out and touched me and it may not have anything to do with my day-to-day life and what i do and stuff but yet it was the trigger or something that made me take a positive action and quite frankly that's the main reason six years ago we put this podcast together we hope that in some way the messages that either ourselves or our guests relayed would have somebody take an action or um, you know, positive in their life or mentor or coach another individual that might take that kind of positive action. And that's really what you're talking about. That you're yeah. you know, you use that platform now. You know, and and it's more important and especially in these days for you to take that opportunity really honestly, Josh, and and, and do that as frequently as you can. I think it's also um, cathartic probably for you. I would imagine. I so I'm gonna be 100 percent honest with you. Like, I don't know how to approach this situation. Like, I don't know how to talk about it tactfully because obviously I'm not tactful when I talk about this. Like, but I talk about it like this because that's what I need. It's real. It's raw, though. But see, that's what people don't want to see—the polished version. Correct. Because then it doesn't sound, it sounds more like it's an edited version of Josh and maybe Josh is not real. And that's not what you wanted to portray either. Trust or anybody me, else I, in your situation. No, I spent three hours in that interview and pff, I was crying for like an hour trying to just talk about Weston because I, I never, and this isn't like, I never got to like, I got to talk to Jake, but I never got to like express the type of person that he was. And that was the first time in years that anybody has asked me what kind of person he was and holy fuck did it just wreck me right like every emotion every feeling that i had just hit me Mm -hmm. and i think you know like i wish they would have put a little bit more in there from like what we talked about um but they were not (laughs) They were kind of like the, so they had obviously like scripted questions like they want to like know but like when I started just being honest with them they were just like yo we gotta hold on <laughs> you know what I mean yeah and I do know what you mean they they did not expect it to be as real yeah I've yeah I, I've had situations on this show like yourself where I've had individuals that um. You know, you just got to let it go. You just got to let it flow because it's it's part of our whole conversation that we need to have, that more people need to hear. And and I shared this with Patty and our uh, another guest here just a few weeks ago that because of that, the same thing that happened to you, I, I have happened, had happened as well, where I get direct messages that, oh, my God, I listened to that episode and it changed my life or it stopped me from taking my life it's like powerful it, it yeah. means that um you sharing it as painful as it was 
as difficult as it was, knowing that you could get negative feedback, you know, by doing so, it makes it worth it. Is you is, know what? That's the only it, way I could describe it. As, as right? you say that, as you say that, right? Like, say fifty thousand people were like, "Fuck you, Josh," right? And one person came up to me and was like, "Yo, I don't want to kill myself." I'm yes. like, "Yeah, yes." Because yeah. I, I, you, I, I don't, I, I don't, I didn't know Rory, right? But I felt so strongly about that situation that it, it hurt. Because when you look at someone who's, like you said, like going around talking about fighting your demons and being positive, and you look at guys like, you know, that, that have been in this community, like Matt Best, you know, all these guys that have gone and done great things outside of the military but who do you see talking about it within our ranks nobody you know who's talking about it within our ranks fucking meme pages yeah they hide behind like, them yeah right uh, like the meme pages are talking about the real shit yeah yeah because if you put yourself out there in a face then that then you get shit on yeah but because uh, meme pages people can fucking say the hard truths right or whatever and like i i have a love-hate relationship with it like it doesn't like i don't necessarily agree with it but like hey if it fucking works it works yeah um yeah. and hopefully hopefully it is like i said you know, when people saw you in in the Titan Games, there was a kind of a story. But I also remember um, in several episodes where your former Black Daggers were there um, at the show, and the way they embraced you after the competition, um, you know, just the love that was there, I felt it. Yeah, through the television. You know yeah. what I mean? It was a heartfelt. You're a member of this team, this family, you know, that can really help an individual as well. So but, just understand that, just understand that, like, and I want people to understand, like, and I know we fucking joke and all this other bullshit, right? But you have SF with multiple deployments, fucking hitters, regiment, CA, psyops, riggers, and we're a fucking family. Yeah, all walks of life there. Does not fucking matter yeah. what you do in the army. At the end of the day, guess what? When you retire at 20 years and I retire at 20 years, you know what the same thing is? We get the same fucking handshake. Yeah. Well, you, your name is Mr. at that point. It doesn't matter. Or that's Mrs. what I'm saying. Yeah. It's, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that's one of the things that um, I can remember a Sergeant Major's wife as he was, um, he was kind of a cocky, arrogant kind of individual. And um, he said something about, I might go ahead and might go ahead and retire. And he told us. Um, that his wife told him, are you sure you want to do this? Because when you walk out the door, you're not Sergeant Major anymore. And it's so true um, that we forget that aspect of it and that we have to be a human inside the uniform as well as outside. And it'll catch up with us one day. But also... I try to, I'm, I'm halfway through my career and I try to approach that. Now, yeah. I've tried doing that, you know, a couple years ago and... Like you said, like whether it's a face, like my face or my voice and my name is going to be out there. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. Right? Like if I get backlash from it, cool. If you hate me because of my job in the, in the army because I could do more, I, whatever, like 
cool, bro. Like, I don't hate my job. I used to, right? Like, I just want it to be better for the guys that are still here, that are not out and living a civilian life, not waking up at fucking four in the morning, going sucking the day's dick. Like, I want it for the guys and the privates and the NCOs and the senior leaders and the fucking sergeant majors and the guys that are struggling in the army that hide it because they need to be fucking strong for their dudes or whoever to understand that it is okay to feel. And whether you take my, you know, because I have, I don't qualify to your standards, bro, like whatever. Like if you can understand that, like we are the same and like we feel the same shit and it's okay, then cool. That's what I want. Probably more the, that's probably more the reason why you need to stay in. Because we can't break the stigma. We can't make a cultural change without individuals who are willing to fight the hard fight and to be the type of leader, whether that be an NCO or as an officer, that's willing to stand against, you know, the walls and, and the things that are coming at them and even the attitudes and stuff that they're going to have to face to make the necessary changes so the behavior changes you know it 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 takes individuals who are willing to do that um and i think that's some of the most difficult things because whatever your situation may be within the military if you think it's bad then make it better don't leave if you're in a leadership position don't leave make the change be the change you you know and i'll tell you this man like there's it's a double-edged sword (laughs) like it is the hardest thing to want to stay in and want to be the change and then want to do it. Absolutely. It- uh, like, for example, like my buddy Nick was in regiment for most of his career, 10 plus deployments, right? Has PTSD, never comes out, never will come out and say it. Will never say, hey, uh, I have this, but knows that he's fucked up. Yeah. Right. And, uh, the dude has one of the biggest hearts that I've ever I've ever met. He's probably one of the hardest motherfuckers that I've ever met. Like he will just he will crush your soul before he talks to you about like the shit that he's been through, right? Uh, and like I just want it. Like I learned a lot just from being around him, him you know working with me and you know doing all this and like the dude is. It, like he's cocky but he's humble man like he mm-hmm. he understands like that it doesn't matter like where we are in our walks of life or what we do at the end of the day it's like what we what we want to do who we love and where we go and that we can change our you know our position and the way that we go about life whether so, he thinks whether he thinks he made an impact or not he did what's next for you then uh so i thought about warrant <laughs> In my field, um, a lot of people don't like the idea. A lot of people don't like social media. A lot of people don't like my attitude. A lot of people didn't like my attitude as an NCO. But uh, I think that I can. Okay, so let's let's go back to like the logistics part of this. I might not be the smartest, the most knowledgeable, the most book smart, whatever. Like you have to be here. But like I've seen what's come up in our field, and I've seen what's retired. I just want to be able to change 
specifically like my field to show that it's better like we're not pieces of shit like our guys don't have to hate their life and there's more to do in this army and then just also be able to help other people as a as a warrant regardless in whatever aspect of their career Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. like it's like i don't want to become an officer just because but i feel like that in my field like if i have a, a fucking warrant rank that my ncos and you know my soldiers will listen at that point not just some dude you hear on the internet or you watch on tv I would say, and I think Patty would agree with me on this, that that probably doesn't matter as far as what your rank is. It's more about, are you somebody that is influencing regardless of rank? And I would say that you are and you have been because there have been a lot of people. Sure, you hear the negative and perhaps the negative sinks in you know, to us. It reaches our soul a lot more uh, quickly than, say, those positive uh, messages and stuff. But I would imagine you've received a lot of positive messages through your time. You are influencing, and rank isn't going to make that any different. No, I, and that's why I said specifically for my field, I just want to be able to change. I want to be, make it more positive. I want to be able to give the opportunity to people that— That's a great—yeah. yeah That don't have or don't understand the opportunity. And just to take that dude who's fucking successful and be like, hey, man, by the way, there's not a— like. Your life isn't the army, but here are some, here are some better options. And by the way, pursue your own life. Like have, don't let the uniform define you, right? Like don't let like what it does define you. Yeah, I think, um, I think what would be interesting is there are not that many rigor warrants, right? I mean, it's not it's not a huge career field, and there are even fewer warrants. I think that um, because of who you are and what you've experienced and what you've done your reputation say you're you know a wobbly one at the 82nd right um everyone on the installation will know who you are and i think i I tend to disagree with robert a little bit i think that people will come from a variety of different units to hear about the crazy warrant mostly because they want to come to you and say hey mr porter can i can i have some of your time i have this personal stuff that i need to offload um i think that 100 percent will happen and i think that uh, and I'm not telling you that's why you should become a warrant, but I think your reputation as a warrant will spread faster and wider than if you're an E7 or an E8. Um, and and potentially, I think that could be very influential and helpful to a lot of a lot of young kids, or or even you know, in even a more senior peer group that's like, I'm going to go talk to that warrant because I got that same stuff going on between my ears as as you did, but yeah. I'm not ready to talk about it on 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 a you know an Instagram account or whatever. Yeah, I forgot about the crazy warrant aspect of it. You're you're right. About that. <laughs> <laughs> you're right because I mean, you, yeah, I always I was thinking that if you did become a warrant, that some people even in senior ranks, sergeant majors, master sergeant, first sergeants, <laughs> lieutenant colonels, majors who are going through the struggle would feel more comfortable talking to a warrant than they would an E six. I, I mm-hmm. would definitely see that. You know, and I mean, I, I think that's the issue now. It's like we look at rank. Obviously, sure, because absolutely. there's rank structure. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't walk up to a fucking colonel and be like, hey, man, blah. Right? Because, like, in the army or in the military, like, if you talk about what we've talked about, it is, hey, I have to report this. Yeah. Right? And some guys are not ready for that. Yeah. Sure. I'm not I'm not ready for that. Right? I don't want to get fucking kicked out because I have emotions that I don't want to go talk about someone that doesn't give a fuck about me that just thinks they can – 
fix me. And that's probably why, yes, a lot of people do go see help. A lot of people don't. Well, I think a lot of people look for people like you, right? Let and me, I have, let me I talk haven't. to someone who's open about it. And I haven't been open about it because, dude, I was fucking struggling, like, for years. Like, okay. I didn't know how to I, – I, I probably could put this in a lot better words. I could probably be way more professional about this. But I, it's just not me, right? Like, I can be professional when I need to be professional. I can fucking yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, and shut the fuck up when I need to, right? But – over time, you're going to be able to figure that part out. I'll just I say that. So. I, yeah, I think I you will. So I think that some of that comes with maturity. You know, as you get older and stuff, you begin to, you know, to think about and reassess and, and figure out ways in which to to share a story, you know, in different environments and stuff. But I think regardless, over time, you're going to be able to um, express yourself in the most raw way that you can depending on the setting maybe is what i'm trying to say and and you you don't always have to do it in a way um in in which you know there's a shock and awe it's going to come from your story just like i said from the story that came out from nbc is a is a great example i guess is what i'm trying to say yeah. you know that that story was a very polished you know look and everything <laughs> But there were three hours that were spent there. Some of that ended up on the, the floor. Yep. And, you know, you got a two-minute segment out of three hours. And, and that still being able to, to share your piece of, of your story and do it in such a way that you're going to captivate an audience, it's already there. Um, and you don't have to feel less of a person because of sharing it in that way. It's still going to come out through the story, I, you know. I hope that you do allow this to be more of a platform um, to share your story. So I hope there are others out there that are listening that says, you know, hey, listen, Josh has got a real raw story that needs to be heard. And I also hope that the people who are paying attention um, don't come after you and give that some thought about why is it that they feel the need to do that in the first place after listening to this episode. Check yourself. Then, yeah, yeah. I mean, bro. Like, if it happens, it fucking happens. You know what I mean? Like, it, it'll 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 just be another fucking day, right? Yeah. Like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take it. I'm not gonna let it ruin me. Um, or like, what I want to do if it does, it does. Like, I'm not it, the stigma and all the bullshit. Just just is what it is, right? And I just. I've just come to the realization that, like, yeah, I have a fun job, and I would fucking hate to get to lose it and do all that. But if that's what it comes to, and I end up saving someone's life, then that's what it comes to. Yeah, and that's like, kind of my my job is my job. Like, I've known, like, my dad is fucking law enforcement, right? Like, he's been law enforcement for almost eighteen years. He, like, I've known officers like that I've worked with and met that have walked away from their job because of, you know. They were just like, all right, cool. If that's what you want, that's what you want. I'll go do something else. Like, this is not my life. Yeah. Right? Like, it's not, like, it's not, it, I'm proud of, like, what I've done and who I've met and the people that I've, you know, come to know and love, but, like, it's not my life. Yeah. Recognizing that is sometimes 
the most the challenging hardest, thing. It is the and hardest it, fucking thing, and it's it's something that a lot of people honestly struggle with after transition. So the fact that you figured that part out now so early on, that's a huge step. Um, that it it what we do on a daily basis in terms of our work doesn't define us. It's more of what we do in expressing to others, you know, um, positivity and um, maybe sharing our story so that they can take an action, a positive action or or make a change in their life, you know, and, and those types of things. To me, that's that's kind of what it's all about. That's listen, I haven't had all this, the great successes either. So I, I can tell you that, um, you know, for a lot of individuals that are listening, they probably had similar experiences. Maybe they didn't hit the lowest low, but they felt some of the things that you've described here on this show. And, um, you know, hopefully they, they do something about it by listening to it. They, they decide, hey, this has caused me to rethink my whole purpose, my whole passion, my whole life, you know. And, um, again, that's what it's all about. Josh, I, I wish we would have had the opportunity to have seen each other in person. I know that we wanted to do it before you came on the Titan Games. And yeah. uh, it was that super secret thing you couldn't tell me that you were doing, uh, but that you would be gone for a period of time, not knowing how long it would be. It depend upon how hard the climb was. But um, I'm glad we finally got a chance to hook up after six years and put together a show. And thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your story as well. Yeah, thank you for letting me. I mean, yeah, thanks, Josh. Two great hosts. Thank you. Thanks for being like completely transparent and authentic. And um, you're on Instagram, so people can follow you. And uh, I'd be curious to see who reaches out to you that you can that you can help in a positive way. Yeah, not by name, of course, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like that. I just if I if I leave it with you know with anything like you know whether I stay in the army or I. I don't, <laughs> whether I get forced out or, I n or not, like it just, we talk about the family, right? We talk about all this at the end and I've only felt that once in my career and yep. the 13, 14 years that I've been in the army, I have felt it once, right? And I think that's what needs to change. Like. We talk about brotherhood and all these fucking movies come out and you're just like, fuck yeah, I want to do that. I want to have brothers. Like, bro, I have people that I would die for that are not in the fucking army. Yeah. That I that I that I didn't grow up with. Right? Like, I have people that I've just met that I was like, I'd fucking die for you. Right? And like, if you want to talk about it, I think we should, as, you know, leaders, be about it. Not just say it. And I think that's what we've got very comfortable with is just saying things that we don't believe. 